I'd like to ask you to take your Bible to the portion of Scripture that we read together out of 1 Samuel chapter 16. <clears throat> I've had a long love affair with this section of our Bible, the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, because they lay out for us an important history that really is our history. You know, as New Testament Christians, we tend to almost think that our Bible starts with the story of Jesus as it is recorded in Matthew chapter 1. And sometimes we don't realize that that story begins all the way back in the book of Genesis. And uh, certainly when we get through the Pentateuch, we have come to some deep awareness that God has been at work in the life of his people, in choosing a people and informing them as a nation, shaping them as a nation, and then giving to them the privilege of, of dwelling as his people with him and creating a means by which they can worship him and, and fellowship with him and dwell with him safely. And so we come to the end of the Pentateuch and we have just marveled at God's goodness at forming and shaping and redeeming and being with this people. And then we start reading the book of Joshua and Judges and we immediately discover that these people still have sinful natures. And we start reading through their early history and then uh, by the time we get to Samuel, we almost get lost in the narrative. We know the big story of Saul. We know about David and Goliath. We know uh, about David's coming to be the king. We know certain parts of that story. But as we sort of get into the story, we only sort of look at the story in terms of its highlights. And when you get down and start reading 1st, 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, you discover some amazing things. And I hope that as we come to this portion this morning, it'll be an encouragement uh, to you as it was to me. Uh, New Year beginnings are wonderful times. They are like restarts. And I had intended to preach this message to you last week, but had to be away for obvious reasons. And I'm so thankful that Alan Benson was able to come and start the new year with you. But I didn't want to miss that opportunity. So you're going to get to hear two brand new first of the year messages uh, in 2022. And given what 2021 was like, uh, we kind of need both of them, I think. Uh, I don't know what your year was like. How many of you had something unexpected? I mean, like a big unexpected thing happened to you in 2021. Can I see your hands? How many of you came to the end of 2021 and said, I am so glad that I got through this year alive? Anybody feel that way? Anybody say, you know, I'm so, <laughs> Joe Bush has got both hands up. Um, how many of you would just say, I, you know, stuff happened in 2021 and I am just praying that 2022 will be different, that it will be better. How many of you would say that? Can I see your hands? You know, so we have an opportunity as we start a brand new time, a brand new year, to kind of recalibrate our thinking. Because you've been through 2021, uh, which wasn't a whole lot different than 2020, and now we're heading into 2022. How do we navigate the start of a new year uh, when we're so glad to see it come? You know, at the beginning of every year, a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. I'm hesitant to ask you if you made any. But Beth and I, uh, from time to time, do a walk in our neighborhood. There are about 180 homes in the subdivision where we live. And 
generally we go out and there's like a, about a two-mile little walk around our neighborhood that we like to do. And generally, when we go out and walk in that neighborhood, we have the entire neighborhood to ourselves. We are the only people out there. But after January 1st, the last couple of times that we've been out there, the streets have been full of people who are walking. And you know, you initially like, what is going on? Why is everybody out? And then you realize, oh, New Year's resolutions. And so I think we have a lot of people in my neighborhood that made New Year's resolutions that involves getting more exercise. And I don't know what yours were, but let me give you the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2020. I actually looked this up and I thought they might be sort of fun for um, uh, you to hear. Uh, Number one, 44% of people who made New Year's resolutions in 2022 made this resolution, exercise more, get more exercise. Now, I don't know if you made that resolution or not, but that's what 44% of people who made resolutions made. Somebody, uh, uh, the next one, eat more healthy, eat healthier. 42% uh, decided to eat healthier, which is why 44% said we need to exercise because we don't plan to eat healthier. 34% said we want to spend more time with family and friends. That was resolution number three. Resolution number four, what would you guess it is? Lose what? Lose weight, 31%. Number five, 30% uh, of people who made resolutions said we want to live more economically. Uh, We want to trim our budget. We want to save more. 24% uh, resolution number six, spend less time on social media. Some parents wish their children would make that resolution. 23% said we want to improve job performance. I want to do better at my vocation this year. 20% uh, made the eighth resolution to reduce job-related stress. And uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, a lot of people have been making the decision that the way to reduce job-related stress is to leave the job. And I don't know if they uh, have a plan for the stress that's about to come here because of that, but that was certainly something that happened, reduce job-related stress. 19% uh, said we want to quit smoking this year. And uh, resolution number 10, 15% said we want to cut down on alcohol consumption. Now, those are the top 10 resolutions that people have made at the beginning of 2022. You may have made some of those resolutions. But I hope that those are not the only kind of resolutions you have made. I hope that as you have thought about starting a new year, And for some of you, the new year is very different than uh, the way it started last year. Over the course of this year, things have happened in your life that you would rather have not happened. Uh, You have lost things. There are people who used to be in your life who are not in your life now. Maybe they moved away unexpectedly or maybe they went home to be with the Lord But as you navigated 2021 and you came into 2022, you're starting a new year and things are very different for you than they were last year. The Lord has led in very different ways, perhaps, than what you anticipated or what you expected. And as you come into a new year and you want to reset 
your spiritual compass, is there a place in the Bible where we see how to do that? And so I think the passage that is before us is a place where we can see God doing a major reset in the life of his nation and a major reset in the life of one of his key servants, the prophet Samuel. And as we sort of navigate through the verses that we read together a moment ago, we can see how God did this. Let me give you the background to what is going on here. In the book of Samuel, you are reading about a time in Israel's history where they are making a move away from being ruled by judges and being led by prophets to the establishment of the monarchy. And as you start reading the book of 1 Samuel, that transition is happening. How do you go from being a nation of sort of uh, loosely connected tribes, each having their own place in space, to becoming a unified nation that is being governed under one recognized king? For many years I thought, boy, the nation got ahead of itself because of the way that 1 Samuel 1 through 12 presents this, and maybe they shouldn't have gone for a monarchy. Maybe they should have been content to let the Lord just be their king. And, uh, and the longer I've thought about that portion of Scripture, I, I've had to try to reconcile something in my mind, and that is this, that God always intended for there to be a King David. God always intended for there to be a descendant of David that would sit on a throne, So I don't think the problem that we're encountering in 1 Samuel had to do with the establishment of a monarchy. I think it had to do with the kind of monarchy that was going to be established and with the kind of person that was going to sit at the head of that monarchy on the throne of that monarchy. Because if you remember when the nation started to come to Samuel and ask for a king, The writer of this book makes it clear that the reason they wanted this was so that they could be like the nations. They wanted to be like the nations. So, how do you go about navigating that? Because God said, I don't want you to be like the nations. You are to be an example to the nations. And so the monarchy is established And and in God's divine providence, he permits it to to fall to a man named Saul. And you know the story of Saul. It ends uh, at the end of 1 Samuel tragically, but certainly we see sort of the the theological end of it at the end of chapter 15, where uh, God takes the monarchy, or he, he, he alerts Samuel and Saul that the monarchy is going to change. And so... We know as we come into chapter 16 that the old thing, that's the monarchy under Saul, had to go, had to change. We know that a new thing is coming because we've read the Old Testament. We know that the king that is about to be anointed is going to be the greatest king that Israel ever had outside of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we know that through this new king is going to come a Messiah. But there's one person in the story who doesn't know this yet. All he knows is that something difficult has happened and he has had to communicate 
a very difficult message. And as God begins to reveal the next move, he has to come and do a work in the life and in the heart of this individual, the prophet Samuel. And so when we open up chapter 16, we find this aged prophet having gone through a very difficult moment in his ministry, returning home, and he is grieving over the past. He is worried about the future, and he is wondering about the present. He is grieving over the past. He is wondering about the future, and he is, uh, or he's fearful about the future, and he is wondering about the present. And into the middle of all of this, God begins to speak. And so that's what I want to do today. You may be in your own place like the prophet Samuel. You may be wearing his sandals this morning. You may be uh, grieving or worried over something that has happened in your life. You may be concerned about the future, what is going to happen. You may be wondering or thinking about the present. How do I navigate this? And so I think as we come and we observe a faithful servant of God go through these things, fearful of the future, grieving over the past, wondering about the present, there are wonderful lessons that we can learn. And so I want us to notice how God leads Samuel to five resolutions. And I'm framing them that way because that's really what I'm hoping will happen in our lives and in our hearts as we trace the story and as we allow the story to begin to shape us. That as we think about last year and as we look ahead to the year that is coming and as we need to navigate moment by moment because we always live in the present. We, we reflect on the past, we look forward to the future, but we always live in the present. We are always navigating both of those directions from the present. And so how do we assess the past? How do we navigate the future by living in the present? And so I think there are five things in this text that help us, and I'm framing them in the form of a resolution. Let me, let me just take a minute and define what I mean by resolution. A resolution is the act of determining a course of action that's marked by firmness of resolve or purpose. It, it is the determining of a course of action marked by firmness of purpose or commitment to bring it about. I am resolving to do this And I am making the personal commitment to invest whatever I have to invest to bring that commitment about. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about a resolution. And there are five of them in this text that I want us to see, where where God had to move in the heart of Samuel so that Samuel had to resolve with firmness of purpose to bring something about. And so let's begin looking at that here in our text. And the first thing we notice that God does and that Samuel has to navigate is this. There is a resolution to accept God's decisions about the past. There is a resolution to accept God's decisions about the past. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Saul. 
since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. So here's the first thing that God had to do in Samuel's heart, and here's the first thing that Samuel had to do. He had to resolve to accept God's decision about the past. The idea here is that this had to happen in Samuel's life even when the decision was one he didn't desire. He didn't want this decision. I'm sorry about the mic here. I'm trying to fix it here for a minute. Uh, it wasn't a decision he desired or wanted. And you can see this in God's question to, to Samuel. How long are you going to grieve over this? The idea here is deep grief and, and prolonged grief. It's not the idea that there was just sort of a, man, I, I'm, I'm just really sorry that happened. The idea is that Samuel went home and mourned over the decision God had made because he disagreed with that decision. And, and you say, well, how do you know that he disagreed with it? Well, when, when he first heard about it, way back in Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 11, when God said to him, Samuel, I regret that I have set Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to God all night. When God says, look, I, I am regretting that I put Saul in this position. And I'm turning back from that, and, and, and it grieved Samuel. Something grieved God, and, and then what God decided to do about what grieved him grieved Samuel. And now we see that grief continuing. And God says to Samuel, how long are you going to continue to question my right to make decisions in my kingdom? How long are you going to grieve over something that I decided to do that you didn't want me to do? So, so Samuel had to come to resolve that he would accept God's decision about the past, even when it was something he didn't desire, but also when it was something he didn't understand or was fearful about. He was, he was mourning, not just because he disagreed with God, but because he didn't understand what God was doing. And you can almost, you know, we're, we're using some sanctified imagination here, but you can almost crawl inside Samuel's head and, and, and the conversation could almost go this way. See, I told you this king thing wouldn't work. You, you were and are a wonderful God over Israel. And, and I think I was a pretty decent prophet. Why, why did we need a king to start with? You said that, that you would be our king. The nation rebelled against that. And you permitted this. And now it's a disaster. And, and uh, I have no idea what is going to happen. Saul is still alive. He's still in power. He still has the army behind him. I'm just a prophet. I'm the one that had to go deliver the bad news. This could go really bad for me. And God says to him, fill up your horn with oil, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Things just got worse 
for Samuel. What? Okay, we just, we just did the no king thing here, and the no king is still the king, and, and he knows what's going on in his kingdom, and if I march down from my house to Jesse's house, I've got to go right past his house. And if I go down there and he hears that I'm going there, he's going to want to know why I went there, and when he finds out what you just said to me, I'm toast. There's no possible way this is going to work out. So so here's a decision that God made that deeply affected Samuel. It's a decision he grieved over. It's a decision he was fearful about. And and God's continued involvement in this decision potentially put him in great danger and in great discomfort. And God said to him, fill up your horn with oil and go. I will send you. So what do you do with that? I mean, what do you do when you're Samuel and you're sitting there and you're God's servant and you know that God is saying this to you? What do you do? And you may be there this morning. I mean, God may have made some decisions in your life that are very discomforting to you or very difficult for you. And and, and they're creating a great deal of anxiety in your life or in your heart. And God is saying to you, will you resolve to let me be God? I have made this call. Will you resolve to let me be God? So resolution number one, we must accept God's decisions about the past. Here's resolution number two. We must respond to God's direction about the future. That's the second resolution that had to happen. Because as soon as Samuel heard the rest of what God had to say, he said this in verse 2, how can I go? Lord, how in the world can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Remember what I said a moment ago? Now, Now Samuel actually verbalizes this. If I go, Saul will hear it, and he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. I don't know if you like to write in your Bible or not, but these two words might be worth highlighting or at least noting. I will show and I will declare. Because they play important roles in the text. We must resolve to accept God's decisions about the past, but we must also resolve to respond to God's direction about the future. I mean, here here is the reality of that direction for Samuel. He's exactly right. Saul is potentially going to hear about this. And as you read the rest of the book, there is this uh, remarkable thing that happens in the life of Saul, there is this progression, this, this sort of degression. I said progression, but maybe a better word is degression. There is this degression uh, that, that leads Saul further and further and further away from the presence of God. You start reading about these horrific moments in his life where he's making decisions that almost seem like he's unhinged. 
And so you, you, you start to realize as you start reading this section that Samuel isn't overreacting. Sometimes people overreact. Well, this is going to happen. And you're like, no, 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 that's an overreaction. This is not an overreaction. He's worried about what's going to happen when Saul hears what God has asked him to do. He's worried about himself, and he's worried about Jesse and the elders of Bethlehem. And God says, now look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you navigate all of this in two ways. I'm going to help you to alleviate your fear if you will do two things, if you will be confident in my instruction or attentive rather to my instruction and you will rest in my protection. If, if you will be attentive to my instruction, Samuel, we're going to get through this together. I promise you that as you go and do what I've asked you to do, I'm going to be with you. And if you are attentive, if you pay attention to what my instruction is, we're going to get there. And, and by the way, as you go, you can be confident of this. I have provided a protection for you. And, and so here is the instruction that God gives. I will show you what to do. Samuel, as you think about, so you've resolved in your heart that, that you're going to be content with what I've decided. You've resolved in your heart that, that you are, are going to respond to my direction. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to be attentive to my instruction. I'm going to show you what to do. I'm going to declare to you the person that you need to anoint. And then you need to rest in my protection. And here's my protection for you. I want you to take that that heifer. I want you to take the rope in your hand and I want you to take that heifer and I want you to go down to Bethlehem and I want you to go to Jesse's house. And if anybody asks you, what are you up to? You need to say to them, you are on your way to do a sacrifice at Jesse's house. And here is the heifer. I'm going to protect you. And that's exactly what happened. So Samuel uh, goes down there, and uh, the elders at Bethlehem see him coming. And generally, when the, the official prophet of Israel showed up unexpectedly at your city, oftentimes that was not necessarily a good thing. So the first thing they want to know is, how are you coming? Are you coming in peace? Are you bringing shalom? It's an amazing question, isn't it? I mean, think about this nation. You've been reading about this nation in Joshua, and you've been reading about this nation in Judges. And the last word you would describe or use to describe this nation by the end of Judges is shalom. And then you get into 1 Samuel and you're wondering, okay, how's it going to be? And by the time you get to chapter 15, this monarch that was leading them has actually brought about division and trouble and trial and, and, and all kind, even with his own son, Jonathan. And so again, the last thing you would think about as you are reading these narratives is the word shalom until the elders of Bethlehem open up their mouth. Are you making the connection with Bethlehem? Here are people in Bethlehem and here is the prophet coming to them and they want to know, are you bringing peace? 
Do you come with shalom? There is a, an echo here of something that a whole host of angels are going to shout in Matthew and in Luke in this same location when they announce that God has brought peace. But that's many, many decades or many, many centuries to come. Here Samuel looks at the elders and he says, I've come in peace. And so that brings us to the third resolution and that is this. Not only do we need to resolve to accept God's decisions about the past and to follow his instruction in the future or uh, engage in his direction in the future, we must obey God's instruction in the present. It's amazing how uh, the writer of Samuel puts this in verse 4. It's a very simple statement. Samuel did what the Lord commanded. Samuel did what the Lord commanded. And he came to Bethlehem, and there's a little nugget that I gave you about the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? And he said... Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. Here is a man who did what God asked him to do, even when it was something that he was struggling with. Even something he was fearful over. He got up, he filled his horn with oil, He found the heifer, and he made his way to Bethlehem. He followed the Lord's instruction personally. He did it promptly. He obeyed fully. I mean, he did everything God told him to do. Down to the way God told him to do it. And and, and the proof of that is what showed up when he came to Bethlehem, and, and, and people want to know, so why are you really here? And his answer is, I'm here to sacrifice. I'm here to have a festal sacrifice at the house of Jesse. Here's a man who in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his anxiety, in the midst of his fear, and in the midst of the struggle that God is, that is going on in his own heart, when, when God says to him, now Samuel, I know that this is disturbing to you, but I want you to be involved. Here's a man who did exactly what God told him to do. And he engaged. And that's really our our third resolution. We must resolve to obey God's instruction for us in the present. It's not enough to come to grips and say, Okay, God, I, I, I understand you have made these decisions and I accept that. And I'm going to listen to your instruction uh, about the future, but, but now I have to engage meaningfully in the present. Remember what I said? We always live in the present. We look back to see what God has done. We look forward in anticipation of what God is doing, but we always have to navigate the present. We live in an ever-present present. We live in an ever-present present. And that's how we live our life. And so in the present moment that we're reading about in the text, Samuel had to resolve to act on these two other resolutions. I've resolved to accept your decision about the past. I've resolved to listen and receive your instruction about the future. And now I have to resolve to obey your instruction in the present. And that's where you are.
And that's where I am. Isn't it? I don't know what went on last year in your life. I don't know what's going to happen in your life or in our life this coming year. I just know this. The God who was talking to Samuel is the God who continues to talk to us. The God who was architecting all of this in Samuel's life is the God who is architecting all of this in your life, in my life, and in our life as a church. You know, we have the the wonderful perspective of knowing the whole story because we have the entire Old Testament. We know what's going to happen. And so it's sort of like if we could coach Samuel, like if God would just let us sort of miraculously coach Samuel, we'd be going like, Samuel, it's going to be really good. Relax. Everything, you have no idea how good it's going to be. I mean, when you find out, if you, Samuel, if you knew what I knew, what I know, you would be jumping up and down for joy. Instead of trudging down to Bethlehem and trying to figure out how this is all going to work out, you would be rejoicing if you knew what we know. And, 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 of course, we don't have the ability to do that. All we have the ability to do is read the story with all of that information in our minds. It's sort of like the story of Job. We know about 1 and 2, right? Chapters 1 and 2, where God is doing things in heaven that Job has no idea about. And we're like yelling at Job, Job, go! Don't, don't deny! Don't, don't, just, just trust! We, we know that. But Job didn't. And that's my point. You don't know what God is up to in this year. But you can see from a story like this that God is always doing things for his glory and for your good. And so here's Samuel, and and he has to obey. He has to resolve to obey God's instruction in the present. Which leads us then to the fourth resolution, and that is, is this. We must wait for God's revelation. And here's where the story gets a little interesting. We must wait for God's revelation. You know, when we're in the midst of fulfilling something God has assigned us to do, it's very easy for us to just push forward and miss important things that God is doing. And that's what you see here in verse 6 of our narrative. When they came, so he consecrates Jesse, they get to the house, they're ready to do the feast and the sacrifice. When they came, they being Jesse and his sons, Samuel looks on the oldest of the boys, a son named Eliab. He looked on Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Way back up at the beginning of the passage, God says, I have seen for myself a king. And I'm going to show him to you, and I'm going to declare him to you. And so here's Samuel. He's made his way down to uh, Bethlehem. He's now, uh, you know, at the feast. And here comes the first of Jesse's sons, and he, he is impressive. And Samuel says, this is him. This is the guy. You can almost see uh, Samuel uncorking uh, his anointing oil horn, and getting ready to anoint the wrong king. And so here is what uh, God began to teach Samuel at that moment. He he said to Samuel, uh, you need to resist 
rushing to wrong conclusions. You need to resist rushing to wrong conclusions. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. God had said to Samuel, I'm going to show you my anointed one. I'm going, to cho- I'm going to show you the chosen one. And God is silent when Eliab comes in the door. And Samuel failed to hear the silence of God. And, and you know, it's interesting. He, he made the same mistake that the nation made when they picked Saul. Why did they pick Saul? Why did they choose Saul? Because he was tall, because of his external appearance, all of the things that, that you're reading about here. And, 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 and God says to Samuel, Samuel, don't, don't do this. This is not the one. I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. In other words, we can't rely on our limited perspective. If we rush to wrong conclusions, it's because we're relying on limited perceptions. And this is exactly what, 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 what God says to Samuel. I, I do not look as man looks. And that brings us into the final resolution and, and one that I think sort of has the, the main lesson for us here today, and that is this. We, we must resolve to depend on God's evaluation and not our own perception. And, and so here, here we have uh, sort of the key that unlocks the text. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. How does man see? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, as you think about this text, uh, you, you see the reason that people, even like Samuel, even people like Samuel often rush to wrong conclusions, and it's because they're looking at the wrong thing. They're looking at the wrong thing. Samuel, the reason, it, it's like God is saying to Samuel, the reason you have rushed to this conclusion is because you're thinking about this in the very same way the nation was thinking about this. You're, you're choosing this man on the basis of his outer appearance. You're looking at the wrong place and you're looking for the wrong thing. And that's really the adjustment God is making in Samuel's mind. And the reason I think this is in our scripture is because it's an adjustment that all of God's people have to make. We have to think through what God is interested in so that we come to right perceptions. So if God doesn't look at the outward appearance, where does he look? And the text says he looks where? He looks on the heart. That's the inner man. God is saying to Samuel, I'm much more concerned about the inner man than I am about the outward appearance. And so here is Samuel about to anoint uh, the wrong person, and God says, you are, are making wrong evaluation. Question for you. Is it possible that as you've been evaluating the work of God in your life over the last year, and as you think about what is coming in 2022, is it possible 
that you are evaluating all of this from a wrong perspective. Is it possible? Is it possible that, you know, because if you're like me, you, you, you sort of lay out all the pros and all the cons, and here's what happened, and here's what could happen, and here's, here's the plan, and God is certainly um, not prohibiting planning. In fact, there are certain texts in Proverbs that, that talk about the foolishness of not planning. But sometimes we can lay out our plan, and, and we really haven't deeply considered the fact that God is up to something. Have, have you considered, as you've tried to resolve your way through navigating last year and thinking about what is coming this year for you as a family or for you as a person, have you considered that you may have been approaching this from a wrong perspective? So how do we change our perspective? And it's here. God says this, I do not see as man sees. Well, how does man see? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And here's what was sort of like a revelation to me as I began working through this passage. God is not just saying, you need to change where you're looking. You need to stop looking at the outward, and you need to look at the inward. He's saying something different. He's saying this, you need to look where your eyes cannot see. I mean, here's the point. God says, I am looking at the inward life of a person. There is no way my human eye can see that. I don't have the kind of human vision that can penetrate to the place where God can see. And so here's the point. Samuel, I told you that I would show you and that I would tell you. And you used your human eye to try to evaluate and you almost reached the wrong conclusion. Because you cannot see with your human perception what I can see from my vantage point as God. And so if you're going... To come to right conclusions, you're going to have to listen to me. You're going to have to let me show you. And the way I'm going to show you is I'm going to tell you. I'm going to use my word to tell you. And you can read the rest of the story. All the other brothers come. And by the time you get to verse 11, Samuel says... To Jesse are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful in eye and handsome. And the Lord said, here's the word. This is the first time that God is speaking this directly about his choice. The Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. A very different return here than the one that we read about in verse 34 of chapter 15. Because God had spoken. 
You say, Pastor, how in the world am I going to know what God wants me to do in the future if I can't see what God sees? I mean, if you're right, I can't see what God sees, then how am I going to know the future? You have to learn to see with your ears. You have to learn to develop ears that can see and respond and listen to what God is saying to you. God has given us a word, and it is infallible, and it is sufficient, and it will guide us as we go through life if we will come back to this word and anchor into this word. So as you go through this year, and as I go through this year, let's resolve together that we will joyfully embrace what God has done over this last year in our life, as painful as it may have been. Let's commit together that we will eagerly anticipate God's direction for the next 12 months as we strive to to know and serve and worship Him together. And then let's prioritize and engage with God's Word as we listen to God's direction for our lives personally, in our families, in our marriages, and in our churches. We serve the same God who led Samuel, and he is doing the same good things in our life that he was doing in the life of the nation when he anointed David in this ceremony that nobody knew about. You know, it's interesting to me, by the time we get done with chapter 16, Nobody has known yet that David has been anointed as king. You know it. I know it because God told it to us. But then you start just sort of tracking how this anointing that we just read about is actually going to result on this man sitting on the throne. And it is an amazing journey. And the same God who began the journey in chapter 1 of verse 16 is going to take that journey all the way to David's death in 2 Samuel chapter 1. It's an amazing story. And it's a story that can give us great hope and great comfort. So let's resolve together to accept God's decisions about our past. Let's resolve together to embrace God's direction for our future. Let's wait for God's revelation. Let's follow God's instruction. And let's listen to what God is going to say to us and guide us through his word. May God help us to do that in 2022. Our Father, we come before you and we are so grateful for a simple story in the life of one of your servants who, like us, found himself in a place he would rather not be. And yet in the midst of all of this, Lord, he was exactly where he would want to be if he could see everything that we see. Lord, help us to realize we're exactly where we would want to be if we know everything that you know. And because we don't, we just have to trust you. And we have to rest in you. And we pray that your word would guide us and direct us and protect us and help us. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for who you are and for what you're like. In Jesus' name, amen.